Hello, rogues. It's episode 9 of the Streets of Avalon re-release. We are six stretch goals in as of this recording, which means for the $10 PDF, you'll get the book, The Streets of Avalon, and the following supplements. The Urban Ranger, The Firearms of Avalon, A Map of a Neighborhood, Iron Shoes, an Adventure by Avalon creator Brett B. of Gaming and BS, The Urban Barbarian, and 10 Magic Items and Spells. Next up are four character dossiers of the characters from this very podcast, Grandma, Vassar, Fionn, and Maris, along with character sketches to go with them. There's even more goodies to light the lamps beyond that. So, click on the link in the post notes if you want to get in on all the dark citywide urban fantasy action, where you can just type in tinyurl.com slash streetsofavalon. Now before we get to the play, let's get another preview for you folks. The Center of Your World The city of Avalon is the center of the world, at least the center of your world. Within the walls and on the streets of Avalon, you live with the plots and schemes of the noble families, dealing with the proclamations of the magistrates who are ostensibly in control. You make your way through the seedy undercurrents of the corrupt guilds, city guards, and sometimes the inhuman things that lurk in the dark streets and realms beneath Avalon. Your goal isn't merely survival. Survival is the best that most can hope for. They have no other choice. From the countless wretches trying not to die in the maze-like alleyways to the guild members trying to just make a living, choices are hard to come by. You have to be clever, brave, tough, and focused enough to find out what options there are for the taking. You may not know what else you'd be doing or where else you could be, even if you had the choice, but right now, it doesn't matter. It's time to make something happen so you can reveal the choices out there. The People of Avalon Humans are the most common beings in Avalon now that the elder species are gone. While variations in size, eye color, hair color, and other superficial physical features are prevalent, humans in Avalon come in three varieties. Noble, commoner, and outlander. Scholars in Avalon recognize as many as 13 different types of human, but for most folks, the three varieties are more than enough to categorize the citizenry. Some have old blood from the elder species, revealing evidence of elven heritage or characteristics picked up in many generations past. Humans The three distinct categories of humans in Avalon are based on general appearance and location of birth in the hierarchy. Nobles More than just an upper-class ranking in Avalon, the nobles have become a breed unto themselves. Generally taller and much slimmer than other humans, nobles are known for their very long and pointed ears, sometimes reaching four inches or greater in length. Those nobles born with lesser traits have been known to find cosmetic ways to correct this problem and protect their image. Sidebar of a noble family. The Potter family is the second most powerful in the city, granting them a prestigious position in the Magistrates' Council. Their image is incredibly important to them, for as Lady Clara Potter says, one must, after all, look like a ruler in order to rule. Even though they control nearly all farming inside and outside the walls, along with brewing and winemaking, Lord Maximilian and Lady Clara do not allow their family to engage in manual labor. It is said that the Ponders are so removed and disinterested in the actual work that is done by their guild members that shadow masters must be running the actual guilds, making the Ponders merely pretty puppets. That's all for this installment. Now on to the next episode, and if you've backed the Kickstarter, thank you. And if you have or haven't, please tell all your friends, enemies, the monsters you know, any rogues you associate with, and everyone in between about the streets of Avalon. Last time on the streets of Avalon, our rogues met the enemy, the force who is seeking the box. Now that they know who their enemy is, let's find out what moves our rogues will make next.
Welcome to the Streets of Avalon, played by the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, and presented by Misdirected Mark Productions, in conjunction with Gaming and BS, She's a Super Geek, and the Knights of the Night. Now for the introductions of our GM, the players, and the characters. Uh, Brett B. from Gaming and BS, I am the Dungeon Master. Hi there, this is Kevin Lovecraft. I'm playing a bard in this 5e campaign. Maris Salanus. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm one of the GMs and editors of Knights of the Night Actual Play Podcast. I am uh, playing a druid character, Nora Maginis, also known as Grandmother. I'm Emily from She's a Super Geek. I make up about one half of it, technically. I am playing a ranger, Fionn McFinnegan. And my name is Chris Nizak, and I am one of the hosts and, I guess, the architect of Misdirected Mark Productions. I am playing a character called Vassar Vim. I am a rogue who lives on the hard streets of Avalon, and I turn the microphone over to Brett B. Because if I get eviscerated, I want witnesses, (laughs) says Vassar. That's exactly what Vassar says. Okay, if I see you get eviscerated, I will acknowledge that you were right. You're not golden with them. Upon your deathbed, he'll write a song about how right you were. I'll take it all back. I shake my head at you, and I say, that's fair. Just make sure you put it in the song. Okay, I can do that. Fionn, you've got a, you have a very large tomcat who's uh, very happy to see you, finally giving yes. him some attention, as he so desperately and righteously deserves. Yes, I am, I'm very sorry. That I have been so distracted. I will either put him on my lap or hopefully he'll jump up on my lap and pet him. Oh no, he's not lap. There's no lap right now. This is a, this is, this is an aloof. You may scratch my leg. Right. Perhaps an ear. I will nibble you a bit. Oh, most illustrious and fluffiest of all of the cats. You are obviously the most wise of your kin. It's true. He is quite wise. And his coat is indeed glorious and lustrous, so. (laughs) Hmm. That's good. That's good. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. You truly must be the king of cats. Or if you are not, you could if you wanted to be. Not when to sing my own praises, but I don't mind that you do. Carry on. (laughs) Carry on. I would like to respect the naming of yourself and simply refer to you as Tom. Obviously short for Tomcat. There is a... Kind of the thousand-yard stare face for a little bit, and then it comes up and purrs and does the figure eight between the legs. Seems happy. Thank you very much. You don't happen to know what to do in this situation, do you, Tom? Oh, most right you're good at this praise, (laughs) y'all. So Tom will look at you, give you a bit of a nibble on the wrist, and then start scooting towards the door. Stop, look back at you like, well, two legs, you asked, are we going or not? I will follow Tom. Very good. Tom will stroll through the room where the others are, give them a uh, glance of, oh, if oh, these poor, foolish little two-legged people here with no idea of what to do next, just look at them and uh, work her way toward, or his way, excuse me, out towards the uh, uh, the outside. All right, I won't say anything to anybody. I'm just going to follow the cat. Oh, Fionn, where are you going? Apparently outside. Grandma, what the heck? Grandmother watches Fionn walk through the room and glances over at Vassar. I'm tired. I just want to go to bed. Yeah, I can oh. sure use some rest. I'm wiped out. Her eyes turn over to Maris. <sighs> well, I don't know. Probably shouldn't let her go wander off on her own. Vassar in mid-yawn looks at you, rolls his eyes a little bit, shrugs his shoulders, and is like, fine. And he walks outside, shoulders slack. Uh, his shoulders uh, pretty drooped down from being exhausted. 
I grab a cup of tea and sit down by the fire. <laughs> it's what happens when you're old, I guess. I turn and follow Vassar out, clap a hand on her shoulder, and like, man, she's bossy. <laughs> didn't say a word. Didn't even say a word. All right, Fionn, the cat goes out, walks a little bit, sees that you're following, looks disappointed that these others are in its train, but well, whatever. Makes its way over to the kind of the raised earth where the sod has been ripped up and so forth, where Mort had called it up and smacked the uh, Mind Flayer from beneath. And does the sniff, 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 paw, paw, paw. Soon you'll hear the the click, 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 click of little kitty claws on something underneath, or a stone, maybe a bit of metal or something in the sod. Mm -hmm. And he looks at you with the, you're going to do something about this? Yes, of course. Please, let me let me do that for you. A wisest king of cats. So we came out here to watch the cat use the litter box? Pr pretty much. I mean, have you ever seen cats like this, though, man? These cats are weird. That's true. I've lived in Avalon a long time. You ever heard any stories like this? Hmm. Actually, yeah. Yeah, there's been stories about uh, talking cats, something about this cat that could fence and stuff. It's crazy. I'm going to have to look that one up. I'll, that's a good story. I know I've got that in my notes. I'm going to go look that up. Well, I can speak with these cats. Say what? You, you could talk to cats? You can't? You mean you talk at cats? I, I talk at cats. No, no, I, I talk with them. So they talk back to you? Yes. Although... They can also communicate, like this fine one does, uh, merely in uh, body language. It is now sitting impatiently by a clump of sod, glaring at Fionn. Yes, I'm I'm getting it. <laughs> what do I find as I move the sod away? Say it's about an egg shape, right? So it's not a perfect oval. It's got the one larger end and the smaller, uh, and the smaller point to it. It is a pearl, a little smaller than, say, a, an actual chicken egg. It's a pearl... And it is very intricately carved with a deeply etched spiderweb-like runes. Don't think the classic uh, Viking-style rune, no hard edges and so forth. It's more that Arabic script. There's more of a flow to it. Right. And it is all over this thing. Is it just carved with runes in it? Yes. I flip it over. Yeah, the entire thing is carved. Oh, okay. So I probably don't recognize the script. No, there's nothing you're familiar with. And it's a pearl? Yes, most definitely. It is very, I mean, the size of it, the lustrousness, the workmanship, it's a very expensive piece of jewelry. Right. What do you got there, Fionn? I will show it to Vassar and Maris and, and say, I don't know what this is, but I mean, you could buy and sell everyone in Glenshire three times over for what it's worth, I'm sure. That thing is worth more than what we sold Violet for. Yeah, but she was damaged goods. Hmm. What? Fionn just admitted to us that her city engages in this trafficking of humans. If slavers came to Glenshire, I'm just saying it's worth a lot of money. And you wanted to sell some of your villagers to them. No, own. I wouldn't. I'm, just <laughs> I'm saying that they could. Your village sounds kind of tough. Their village is weird, Morris. Like, it's got slavery. It's got, they can talk to animals. They can turn into giant boars. I kind of like to go get some stories from there. We do not have slavery. Slavery is a vile thing. There is a foot stomp, a shoulders back, head proud, we do not have slavery statement. I'm just teasing you. Vassar's totally serious, of course, but I'm just teasing Of course, you. of course I was serious about the slavery thing. No, actually I wasn't, but I was serious about the weird, you talk to cats and your people change into animals. That's strange. Yeah, that is weird. Oh, yes, by the way, grandmother can change into a sow. I, I know, I saw it last night. 
or like three hours ago. Yeah. I mean, it's not something we go around mentioning. Hello, this is my grandmother. She can turn into a giant sow. Mara, so you take a look at the uh, at the pearl itself. The etching is, again, with your musician's hands type of thing. You can feel the grooves. They're deep. You're actually fairly impressed that someone was able to etch this thing as deeply and intricately as they have without damaging the entire pearl itself. Is it like a consistent depth? Yes, absolutely. Hmm, weird. Run my fingers along that. I don't think I've ever seen script like this before that I can remember. Really strange. I mean, I've seen some old scrolls and stuff in some of the storytellers. Uh, <clears throat> libraries, and I don't recall ever seeing any. Well, if if neither of you know what it is, perhaps Grandmother or Mr. Mort will. Yeah, well, we should definitely show it to Grandma. I'm not sure how far I trust Mort. I, I don't trust him at all. That doesn't mean he might not know something useful. I mean, he already knows we have the box. Take it back in, then? Yes, I will bow to Tom and thank him most magnanimously. Whoa, man, you're going to let that cat run your life? You know how... Okay, whatever. Have you ever had a cat, Maris? Yeah, didn't work out. They tend to run your life on their rules. <laughs> Are you sure that Graham, Grandma wants to compete with the cat for running your life? I'd, I've kind of worried about the cat's uh, well-being <laughs> now. Grandmother does not run my life. She is merely uh... running my test of adulthood. I look over at Vassar, make wide eyes. I don't think I like you, Maris. <laughs> you guys come back in. Uh, Nora, Nora, and Mort are on their second cup of <laughs> on, their, on their second cup of very strong tea. Um, and Nora, you see Fionn, Maris, and Vassar have come back in. Uh, Fionn has a what looks like a smallish egg in her hand. Look, Maris, they're from out of town. Like, I don't want to judge their culture. I, I would hope that they're not judging ours. I assume they think that our ways are strange and odd, too. Yes, you drink stimulants in the morning. They're great. We also have pastries. Grandmother, we found this. The, the cat led us to this pearl thing. I hand it to her. Hmm. I hold up my hand and do the same thing I did with the box, which is close my eyes, breathe deeply, an attempt to see if there's anything specific about the box. Okay. Give me a similar roll. Okay. I am actually going to use the guide spell I have, which gives me a plus four. Okay. A little casting. Give you a little boost. Okay. So roll the 12, and then I get to add two more to that, so a total of 14. Nice. So there's a. it definitely has to do with um, perception. It is uh, magical in some way. It's not nature script. It's not clerical it's not druidic you're assuming it's some sort of sorcery or wizardry um the way it's uh ensorcelled i guess is the best way to put it it has the feeling that it's drawn to things that it points things out perhaps is the best way to put it it would take longer study mm -hmm. than you have right now perhaps time with it attunement if we were to use a word um where you'd have to uh try to see how this thing functions i explained to the group what i found out and tell them that I guess this might possibly be what was used by the Mind Flayer to find us. You mean it's like some sort of scrying or tracking device? Yes, it does seem to... Hmm. Can I read any of the writing? No, you cannot. Mort has slid a little bit closer to take a look. He 
confesses bafflement at the writing itself. However, he says, you know, perhaps just the environment being what it is and the thing we just encountered. The script reminds me of the uh, Illithid script that I have seen. Uh, the ancient uh, copies of their of the Mind Flayer script it tends to it has a very similar feel and flow to it. So again, perhaps it's just simply because of what we just encountered this evening. But it has the look and the size to possibly have been the the creature's eye. I don't know if it was using it as some sort of oracular piece where it would you know plug it into its its an empty eye socket. Perhaps I'm I'm not sure. Ugh. Wipe my hands from my trousers. I touched that. Oh, perhaps we can see through it. So I will, I'll try to pick it up and um, hold it up and look through it, like one would look through a like a spyglass or something. Thank you. Yes, a spyglass. I'm like, what are those things called? Uh, Nora has it in her hands. Kind of does the whole proffering it out to you. As Fionn, you grab it. It has a magnetic pull back towards Nora, not like a earth magnet, you know, slam across the floor type of thing, but has that definite feel to it where it doesn't want to leave. You want to drop it or let go of it? Yeah, I will. I will let go of it. It will land back in uh, Nora's hand and kind of crawl slowly its way from her palm down the wrist to the arm, basically heading directly to where Nora has the box hidden on her person. In her petticoats of holding. Correct. That's weird. I stop it. No one's going in my petticoats of holding. <laughs> Not some crazy and sorcerer mystical eye. No way. That is odd. Hmm. So it's a tracker for the box? It seems like it is. Why don't we find out? Take the box out, put the thing down, and see if it goes to it. Uh, I do that. All right, Nora, you place the box, the mouth of Erlig, the container thereof, on the floor. You put the bead, the eye, as we're calling it now, on the ground, and it does slowly but surely work its way through the uh, dusty, dirty floor, making its way towards the box. When this is occurring, I'm watching Mort for reactions when we took the box out. He looks shocked, and he has that... It, the first is shock, and then there's resignation into this. It's the... I mean, he'll say it out loud, right? This is must This must be how they found us. They must be using this. Your knowledge of how these types... Uh, not these types, but how magic itself would work, there's, there's an attunement process, right? You need to be able to understand how it functions. Chances are that the way... What you have done, your initial poking and prying with your, with your spells and your aura perception... Is causing it to activate in some way. Chances are it doesn't leap out of a, a mind flayer's head to go racing across the floor to find the box. Mm-hmm. But it would most likely, if it is stuck in an eye socket, would direct the individual to a thing that they may be seeking. You're assuming it is some variation on a theme of a of a vision spell, perhaps, or a some sort of an oracle thing. So there's an attunement to the person who's using it. Yes. Is there an attunement to the thing it's being used for as well? That you don't know. You'd have to you have to spend more time with it. You mean you think that perhaps it can be paired, if you will, with another item? I'm wondering because it certainly seems to be of one one mind right now. It has one target, and it might be the most powerful thing in the room, or it might be this specifically. If I take out a handkerchief and wrap it up, it, that doesn't seem to have any effect. It's clearly it was going through my petticoat, so. Yeah, it's it's trying to make its way to it. And again, it's not like a forcible thing. You could cram it in your pocket. It's not going to crawl its way out of your pocket. You could tie it up and stick it in a sack. It's not going to be able to find its way out from what you can tell. Can I think about back to the Illithid? Did the Illithid have this as one of its eyes? Give me a wisdom if you have perception. Add your perception bonus to it. I'm going to raise the DC a little bit because it's kind of post-fact. Right. You're looking back in time, if you will. No, I don't have perception. 
I have survival. Well, this will just be a straight wisdom check for you then. All right, I got a 10. Well, problem being that the creature had, it was hooded much through the fight. Right. It did have, you remember on the, you know, cephalopod tentacles that were coming out of its face, that on those tentacles it had um, hooks or knives and different kind of implement things. So it makes sense that a creature that would adorn itself with those types of tools and so on may well use some sort of an artificial eye to do what it needs to do. So that it, it seems to jive with what you've heard, right? You're like, okay, I, I get it. I could see these bizarre octopoids doing this thing. But if it was in the Elithid's head, those types of things don't just fall out. E. Is it possible that the Elithid has planted it so that they track us easier if we have this one on us? Or can the Elithid possibly see through it? I don't know anything about scrying, so... Yeah, that's my big concern. It's an eye, right? Let's just cover up the eye. Yeah, can we put that hanky back over it again? I don't believe we should stay here. If we are waiting for the next time the lamplighters come out, how long would that be? Um, when's time to light the lamps? Say about 9 o'clock at night. Well, I'm sure we all need a good rest. I don't think this this is the place to do it. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. So of the locations that we have available to us, which one is the least known by most people? Well, let's see. Readily available to you. Uh, let's see. Vassar has taken his mother somewhere and put her kind of out of sight, out of mind. She's protected there. Right. You have the inn that Vassar's family owns, the Iron Wheel, which is being guarded by a series of bravos that he was using some of your gold to help pay for. And then there's Grandpa Thompson's boarding house, which is something else. That, it's another property. Apparently, Vassar Vim, our uh, landlord um, to the stars, has access to that as well. So the box has been known to be in, well, at least Vassar's mother's place. Yes, because we've had the bargeman show up there, kill my girlfriend. Was she? Was she your girlfriend? Yes. Yes, she was. I would suggest that that place is out. Which really only leaves us one. So we go to Grandpa's boarding house. Yeah, Cutter was there. So in truth, that is also known. That is correct. Now, we've got the coin to secure other lodgings. We we are not poor by any leap of the imagination. Yes. that That's true. I got 35 coin on me. So we could certainly secure lodging. I think they have some rooms uh, up above the... Bar and restaurant over at the Copper Cup. <laughs> the Copper Cup, huh? I, I like that place. I mean, we do have the money for it, as you said, Morris. Yeah. Should we do that? Is that the place right by the fire? Yeah, I think so, based on where you said the fire was. I know that the Copper Cup's right in that neighborhood. Well, let's go there, then, and sleep away the day. All right, folks. So you're going to go there. It's going to take a few, basically a handful of silver coins. Are we looking... There are enough rooms you could each have one of your own, or if you want to, you could all bunk in one larger one, or you could double up, triple up, however it is you want to do this. Is there a large suite that we could all share? Because that might be the way to go. If you want to, there is one room in which you could all bunk, yes. Uh, We do that. Yeah, I think it's best if we can have more people with this box in case something comes for it, just so we can try to keep it from disappearing on us. Fair enough. Well, let us make our way to the Copper Cup, then. So the streets are pretty uh, cleaned out at this point. You have a number of griffins. The the, uh, city guard are out. 
They're called the Griffins, right? There's not physical Griffins? Correct. Okay, just making sure. If you've ever walked by a campfire that's been put out with water or uh, urine or anything along those lines, it has this nasty, burnt, water, wood-soaked slash urine smell on a campfire. It's not good. It's just kind of permeating where the fire itself was. The Bucket Brigade's been there. Um, well, Fiona and Vassar, you guys helped tear down buildings next door to it to keep the fire from expanding. So it's a bit of a wreck. You guys roll into the Copper Cup, and the landlord and and uh, lady of the house are happy as all nine hells to see somebody actually out and about. Everybody else had pretty much split. They were just they're in this empty inn. Hence the ability for you to have as many pick your pick of the rooms. We have um, we have a really nice breakfast that. The lady and the, and the cook are ready to go. Mm-hmm. So you have a nice breakfast. You've got sticky buns. You've got coffee. <gasps> sticky tea, buns. Everything ready for a nice, decent breakfast, which to you guys turns into basically a very late dinner slash breakfasty thing. A dinner brunch, almost, if you will. I fall asleep in a chair at the table. Three minutes later, I'm shaking your shoulder. Come on, Vassar. Time what? to go up the bed. Oh, okay. Okay. It's the thing where your wife wakes you up when you're sleeping comfortably on the couch because it's time to go to bed. It's that that event, right? So get up. Come on now, dude. Yeah, that just happened, except it wasn't a beautiful girl. You two girl. would make an adorable couple. <laughs> they would, actually. You know, I, I, look at, I look at Maris and I'm like, you know, he's not really my type. I like to think I'm everyone's type. <laughs> he's a bard. Um, is it a problem to have the cat with us? Or is maybe the cat just lying low? The cat will absolutely stay with you. There's no problem with that at all. Cool. Little pieces of food are disappearing to the cat. Absolutely. You guys get up. If you wish a bath or anything, or if, uh, <laughs> to Vassar's point, and Fionn, you're pretty damn tired as well. You did firefighting. Yes. You were in a big brawl. My assumption is there'll be a lot of crashing and then bathing perhaps in the morning, in a more suitable hour of morning anyway. I mean, yeah, I might clean up quickly because I probably smell like soot. Yeah. The real bathing will be later after the resting. Yes. Soot, dirt, blood, guts, that type of thing. A lithid. Illithid juice, whatever. Gross. Um, Everyone's cleaned up as best they can. Crash. Wake up. You guys are going to get up probably about 1, 2 o'clock. Sleeping in a little bit. There's nobody else in the inn, so there's basically your pick of whatever kind of, if you're into breakfast beer or wine, or if you want coffee, or whatever it is that you need, there's plenty uh, plenty of food and drink to be had at this point. Again, there's not a lot of traffic here. Because of the fire and just there's just not a lot of people roaming around. It just nothing, not much going on. So actually, it's a pretty decent, safeish place. There's no activity now. Tom, you have the eye in the box. Yes, throughout the night, you having had the least strenuous, apart from your um, boorish behavior. <laughs> oh, there we go. There was a long way to that joke, but I had to use it. Hmm. <sighs> do you want to do anything with those items? Nora is actually spending some time looking at the eye. The thought process is that if it is attuned, I want it to be attuned to me and not someone else. I'm assuming it can't be attuned to two people at once. Okay. Don't know how valid that is, but... Hey, it's a workable hypothesis, at least. Right. Okay. So she's probably spending time studying that. I assume you're not spending any time trying to better understand the mouth of her <laughs> or anything that crazy. <laughs> no. All right, just checking. No. <laughs> want to see if you want to betray the party for some strange reason. I Just a, just a thought I, occurred to me. Would I do that? I mean, if Morris had the box, I'd be worried about that. Uh, Morris doesn't want to even yeah. touch that box. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> well, I do want to talk to Morris about the eye. I don't know how much... 
I mean, you. I know you are a bard. I don't know how much you know about magic and attunements. I don't really have any experience working with, like, remote viewing, scrying, things like that. I'm a little more in the investigative, you know, detecting magic type thing, healing or otherwise. Uh, well, you've seen the offensive magic I can use. But detect magic is what I'm talking about. I mean... Obviously, we know it is magic, but can you detect the type or any more specifics about it? I can look at the aura. Uh, I can see an aura uh, and learn at School of Magic. Yes. Do you want me to do that? It could be beneficial. Yes. So we're going to retcon and say this discussion was before the nap. Absolutely. This is, I mean, we're just talking about anything you wanted to have done, perhaps either during the time you were sleeping, first thing in the morning. All right, so I'll go ahead and cast Detect Magic and focus in on the eye. All right, so, yeah, it's definitely got some sort of divination. It's got a kind of a evil taint to it, which is no surprise. Mm-hmm. That darkness, is it, like, alien, or is it uh, more, like, demonic, or can I get a flavor for that? The best phrase for it would be... It's like an aberration to magic. It is so alien and beyond what what your stories have told you. The divisors, the creators, and the users of this thing have... Um, it's just an alien, a completely alien approach to it. So the way that they're using their magic, what they're tapping into, how they're using, how they're obtaining the powers for this divination stretches the necromatic dark components of it beyond what you would normally assume to be a necromancer or perhaps an evil spell wielder who would, per legend, summon the dead or something along those lines. It's darker and more sinister. There's something about this that is pretty goddamn vile. Okay, this thing is gross. It's some sort of, I don't know how to explain even what this type of energy is that's powering this divination ability it's alien uh, completely different pattern from the way we would normally think the term pattern is perfect here because the the sigils the the carvings and so forth you are dead certain that they have shifted and changed through your observations and workings and through uh, nora playing with it it's not alive but it is oddly changing Changing. So we don't actually see it moving, but when we look back, we're like, pretty sure that's not the pattern it was? Yes. Okay, I don't want to touch this thing anymore. Put it in a bag. I typically have different pouches for components. I pick the thickest one I have, empty it of items, and place the eye in there alone. Okay. I don't know what we want to do with this. I also, while we have a moment, would like to show Grandmother the ring I got from Liam. Hmm. Because I don't think we've gotten a chance to talk about it. No, no, we definitely haven't. But while we have a breather. It's it's very ornate. What does it do? Anything? Well, from what I can tell, it has a strong affinity to ravens and crows and would allow me to speak to birds, but most likely not predatory birds. And I know it does something else, but I can't quite tell what it is. Is there any chance Maris can, or is he done for the day with discerning magical things? I only put it into one slot. The spell lasts 10 minutes, it looks like. Okay. I'll continue to focus. Okay. 
and take a look at that ring and see if I can get what school of magic. Transmutation? What? <gasps> oh, your kitty cat will love this, Fiona. I think this ring can help you turn into a bird. Now, the what that means as far as how that actually manifests itself, you're not quite certain. Does she turn into a great big bird, like the size of her own physical form, and grow wings or something? Or does she transfigure herself into a small crow or a raven or something much smaller than she is physically? Or some other variation on that theme? You're not certain. And will I be able to get out of it is then the additional question. I'm sure it wears off. Eventually. Eventually. I feel like if I have a talk with my cat about this, I think we'll be fine. The, the cat is very wise and smart. I just may not be able to talk with the cat when I'm a bird. I'm pretty sure it wears off when you're at the apogee of your flight. <sighs> okay. Um. Well, Grandmother, at some point, we should probably talk about why would Uncle Liam want to give this to me? I'm sure he thinks it'll come in handy. He has been known occasionally to get glimpses of the future, which is why he left for the city. So you got to, like, focus in and get attuned on that thing. I want to see what happens when you use it. I will document the events. I pull out a, my scroll case, my scroll, and my quill. I am really tired, though. Right. So sleep with it on and start your focusing process. Okay. You put the ring on, Fionn? Yeah. In my mind, I've been wearing it the whole time. Yeah, I kind of assumed that, too. What I'm assuming is you've taken it off, given it to yes, Mars. Mars yes. did this thing. You take it back, you slide it back on, crawl into bed, and uh, dream sweet bird-like dreams. And Nora, we're not bothering to attune to this horrendous Illithid-like technology, I'm assuming? Mm, no, I think I'll pass, yes. No sense of adventure. None. Uh, Mars, why don't you attune to it? <laughs> you can trust me. <laughs> there we go. You're the... Other magic use, I mean, yeah, grandmother uses magic and you at least can sense magic. Oh, I'm full of all sorts of tricks, Fionn. Is there anything else we want to do this evening or first thing in the morning? I want to get some serious Z's. That's all for this episode of The Streets of Avalon. Tune in next time to see what they do with the pearl, maybe finally see if Vassar is eviscerated by a lamplighter, and what our rogues end up doing with that damnable box. We look forward to running with you rogues next time.